Paul's letter to the Romans. Imagine Paul sitting in Corinth over the long winter of, say, A.D. 56 or 57. He's dreaming about taking his ministry westward, maybe clear out to Spain at the far west of the empire. And he's been longing for years to visit the city of Rome. And what if he could combine those two efforts? Visit the city of Rome, the heart of the empire. And then the church there in that city could become a launching pad for ministry further to the West. And so with those dreams, those hopes, those longings in mind, Paul begins to dictate a letter. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so begins the letter to the Romans. And in this session on the listener's commentary to that letter, we want to look at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 15, which really is the introduction to the letter. It's composed of two parts, verses 1 through 7, verses 8 through 15. And then verses 8 through 15 is the thanksgiving and prayer report for the Christians there in Rome. Let's jump into the details. In the Greco-Roman world of Paul's day, letters began the same way. They began with the sender, then the recipient, and then some sort of greeting, right? Like John to Sam, greetings. That would be a standard way a letter would have begun in the ancient world of Paul's day. And Paul simply took that standard way of opening a letter and adapted it for the purpose of letters to churches all around the empire. So here in Romans 1, 1 through 7, we get the sender, Paul. We don't get the recipient down until verse 7. Um, all who are beloved of God in Rome called saints. And then we also get the greeting there in verse 7. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So sender, recipient, greetings. That's the way an ancient letter opened in Paul's day. So let's look at the details here. Paul is the sender of the letter. And he says this about himself in verse 1. Paul Notice he describes himself as a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so Paul opens this letter to the Christians there in Rome by describing himself as a bondservant or slave in Greek. But we often translate bondservant because the, the word slave has various connotations to us that maybe didn't carry for them. So a slave, it's one who belongs to Jesus and is uh, available for his purposes and for his work. So a bondservant of Christ Jesus called as an apostle. The word apostle simply means one sent, an official representative of somebody else sent as their representative on a mission on their behalf. And so uh, an apostle is an official ambassador, an official representative of somebody else. In this case, Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus, King Jesus. So called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so he's been set apart for God's purposes, specifically to serve him in gospel work, gospel ministry, set apart for the gospel of God. So that's the sender, Paul, bondservant, apostle, servant of the gospel. Now we get a long interruption of this introduction and greeting in verses 2 through 6. We'll come back to that in a second, but let's get the recipients there in verse 7 uh, before we come back and take a look at the details of 2 through 6. In verse 7, Paul says, to. So Paul, the writer, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, 
called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he describes the recipients as all who are beloved of God in Rome. And so all those that God loves, they are called saints. We have to make sure we understand that the word saint doesn't mean somebody who has been deemed to be super spiritual by the church, as in, say, the Catholic tradition. We don't see that as a super holy person who's had a statue made out of them. The word saint, as used here, is in the plural, meaning it's all the Christians there, and it's always in the plural, interestingly, in the New Testament. So saints is plural, and it refers to those who belong to God, those who are set apart as God's people. That's the idea. It's a belonging term, and it really comes from the same word root word as the word holy, and it has to do with being set apart for God, that you are his property, his possession. You belong to him. So to all who are beloved of God, called saints— and then the greetings, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Paul does with his standard greeting here is he really just adapts the standard greeting of the day for Christian purposes. Typically, at a letter, the word here at this point would just be greetings, which in Greek is chirine, greetings. But the word grace is charis. Do you hear how similar they are? Chirine, greetings, grace, charis. They're very similar. And so it became very uh, customary in Christian letters just to take and replace the word chirine with the word charis, grace. And so the greeting really becomes a well wish for you, grace to you. We're praying for, we're wishing for God's grace upon you, grace to you, and peace, which peace is really as the standard Jewish greeting, shalom, which means peace. And that was how a Jew would greet a fellow Jew in the day, shalom, which would be peace to you, right? And so grace to you, standard Greek greeting, uh, adapted to be grace. Peace to you, the standard standard Jewish greeting, shalom, um, now brought together. So grace to you, peace to you. What's the source of grace and peace? God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is the, uh, the standard greeting of the day. But here in this case, in Romans chapter 1, we get this long interruption in verses 2 through six, which really is interesting. Why such a long interruption? Well, remember, Paul has never been there, so he has to kind of build some rapport and establish some credibility because he, he's never been to this church. And Paul is very sensitive about, we see this uh, throughout his letters, we see this here in Romans, Paul's very sensitive about building on another man's foundation. He talks about that in 1 Corinthians, and so he doesn't want to just barge in and assert his apostolic authority. But here in the case of Romans, there's never been an apostle there. They don't have an apostolic foundation necessarily. And so he feels it's appropriate for him to add his apostolic teaching to their faith, to the churches there. So that's appropriate. Not only that, his specific call before Jesus as apostle is as apostle to the Gentiles, and they're the heart of the Gentile world. So they're really, in a lot of ways, within the sphere of his ministry and his apostleship. So he feels it's appropriate to really uh, come to them, teach them, and introduce himself to them. And so verses 2 through 6 serve to set that up. So let's read what he says. After he introduces himself in verse 1 as servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, he begins to describe the gospel in this way. He says, which. Notice that verse 2 begins with which, meaning which, i.e. the gospel. So which he, God, promised beforehand 
through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And so the gospel was something that God promised to do in the Old Testament Scriptures. And so this is the gospel is a fulfillment of God's promises. He goes on, continuing to describe the gospel in verse 3, saying this, concerning his son. Notice that, that the gospel is about God's son. It's about Jesus. So he's going to say some things about Jesus here because that is the focal point of the gospel. So concerning God's son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. And so Jesus' birth is in keeping with the royal lineage, the line of David. Messiah was going to be from the line of David. Jesus was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. And so God's son fits the bill for Messiah because he's from the right line, the right lineage, the royal lineage. He's of the house of David. And then Paul goes on in verse 4, who was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the Spirit of holiness, namely Jesus Christ our Lord. So in a clear and powerful way, the resurrection had demonstrated that Jesus was indeed God's son, that he was who he said he was, that God had actually vindicated him upon his crucifixion, and that the crucifixion therefore was part of God's plan, and the resurrection demonstrated thus that Jesus was in fact the Messiah and God's king and God's son. That's the point here, and that the Holy Spirit was involved in this. So notice there in verse 4, we have the Son of God, the Spirit of Holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, three in one, all uh, members of the Trinity at work in this, this gospel work of rescuing the world. Another observation to make before we move on to verse 5 is notice that the gospel centers on Jesus, not on a church, not on a moral code not even on a plan of salvation and forgiveness of sins, although those are expressions of and experiences of the gospel. But the gospel focuses on what God did in Jesus. And so it's news about Jesus and what Jesus accomplished and about who Jesus is. And when you read through the book of Acts and you watch the preaching of the apostles in the book of Acts, guess what? They preach routinely that Jesus himself and who Jesus is and what Jesus did. So we need to I think, recapture that, that instead of preaching a plan of salvation as good news, let's preach Jesus and his victory as good news, and then our response to that is our faith and the, the resulting forgiveness and justification we get from that. And so uh, Paul here has introduced his ministry and his apostleship by saying, it's all about the gospel of God's Son. Now in verse 5 he says, through whom, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. And so Jesus is the one who bestowed upon Paul this ministry as his an apostle. And notice the, the purpose or the goal of his ministry there in verse 5 is this, to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's ministry, his apostleship, was specifically aimed at, he says, bringing about the obedience of faith. That is the allegiance and loyalty of faith, the faith that obeys Jesus, right? And so his goal is to bring about the obedience of faith. Notice that, that here, even in this letter, where, where it emphasizes so much justification by faith, 
that's not opposed to obedience of faith, right? Like faith obeys. And so Paul sees his ministry as calling all the Gentiles into loyal allegiance to Jesus that they might obey him for his name's sake. Another important note there in verse 5 is that the word Gentile is the same word translated nations elsewhere. And so Gentiles are nations. Nations are Gentiles. And so Paul is calling all the nations, all the Gentiles, to loyal obedience to Jesus for his name's sake. That's what he's doing in his ministry. And then Paul points out in verse 6 that they there in Rome fall under the sphere of that ministry because they also are the called of Jesus Christ. They fit within under the umbrella of his ministry. So it's appropriate for him to write to them. It's appropriate for him to give some teaching to them. And it's appropriate for him to really come and do some teaching there among them. And so here in the introduction and greeting, Paul presents himself to the Romans as a slave with a message from the king, a summons to allegiance and loyalty and obedience from King Jesus himself. That is Paul's whole ministry and message as a slave of King Jesus. Now in verses 8 through 15 then, Paul shifts to his thanksgiving and prayer report for them and on their behalf. And so verse 8 says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. And so Paul is uh, thanking God on their behalf, because all throughout the Roman Empire, people are talking about their faith in Jesus as Messiah. And so, man, that's a big deal when they're in the heartbeat of empire there are people that are now being loyal to King Jesus in the very shadow of the, the emperor, in the very heart of empire. People are saying, no, Jesus really is the true king, and I'm loyal to him. And that's then being told throughout the, the Roman world. Wherever Paul goes, he's meeting people who are talking about the church there in Rome and the Christians there in Rome and their loyal, faithful obedience to Jesus right there in the heart of empire in the city of Rome. Um, this could be happening in two ways. Uh, it could be that people like Aquila and Priscilla, who we see in Acts chapter 18, uh, that they were forced out of Rome because of that edict of Claudius there. He kicked them out of Rome. It could be that they had taken the message of Jesus with them wherever they went. And in doing so, um, Paul is learning about, oh, man, there are Christians in Rome. and They're faithful. They're obedient. They're evangelistic. They're serving Jesus. And so it could happen that way. Not only that travelers to Rome from elsewhere in the empire, when they return home, they come back and they're talking about the Christians they met there in Rome as well. And so however it's happening, the mess, the story about the Christians in Rome is being spread throughout the entire Roman world. Paul goes on in verse 9 and says, For, for God, whom I serve in my spirit, by the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps not last by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. And so here in verses 9 and 10, Paul shifts to how, how he's praying, and specifically how he's praying to come and visit them. He's asking God for them. And so he thanks God for them because he hears about their faith and their obedience and the Christians there in Rome, and he prays for God to open a door for him to go visit them. In fact, he says there in verses 9 and 10 that God is my witness, how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers asking God to, to make it possible for me to come to you. And so he's been praying regularly, ongoingly, 
for a chance to go visit Rome and visit them and meet the Christians there in Rome and talk to them and even preach them and share the gospel there in Rome. And so he's been praying and asking God for this. He says in verse 11, for I long to see you. I long. Paul, I mean, he's yearning for this. This is deep. He wants to come. He wants to visit them. He wants um, to, to, he says, establish them in some way. This is what he says in verse 11. I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. So he has this longing to visit them and impart what he calls a spiritual gift. And we don't quite know what Paul has in mind by that spiritual gift. Could it just be his teaching? Could it be something more than that? I don't really know. The idea of spiritual gift, particularly here, is a gift from the Spirit of God. And so don't really know exactly what he has in mind, but he wants to come and impart Maybe it's his teaching. Maybe it's some other kind of spiritual gift. Maybe it's just the apostolic teaching of the, the gospel. Who knows what he has in mind, but impart some spiritual gift so that with the goal that they might be established, like really established in the faith, established in the apostolic faith. That's his heart. He wants to see them really founded and grounded in the, the faith that's being preached by the apostles throughout the rest of the Mediterranean world. He goes on to further describe this as sort of like a mutual encouragement from each other, like him coming to establish them, but him also being encouraged by them, this mutual encouragement. So he says in verse 12, that is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I, I love this because what Paul is saying in verse 12 is he doesn't want to just think that he's, you know, he's coming in, he's going to tell them how it all is, he's going to straighten them all out, and he's going to give them the real goods. He's like, no, I, I've heard how faithful you are. I know you love Jesus. And man, it would be great if I could establish you in some way, but that together we could encourage each other and build each other up. Your faith, my faith, sharing together, and that together we're encouraged and built up. And I just, I love really that humble posture of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, this great apostle who's planted churches all over the place, and yet he wants to be encouraged by their faith and hopefully together encourage them through his faith as well. He goes on in verse 13 and says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I've often planned to come to you. So here he's in keeping with this prayer request to visit them. He's wanting to let them know that this has been a long standing desire. He's never been there, but he doesn't want them to feel like they're an afterthought, that they're unimportant. He's been so busy with ministry elsewhere. He's never really given them a second thought. No, he wants them to know that he's longed to come to them for really for years, for a long time. So I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, but I've often planned to come to you and have been pre prevented so far. And so he's he's wanted to do this. It just hasn't worked out for whatever reason. There's circumstances, difficulties, who knows what all has prevented him, but he's been prevented from coming so far so that, he says, I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Seems to be a way of Paul just referring to evangelistic ministry, some fruit of his ministry. Like, so that I may obtain some fruit among you seems to be a picture of him coming and preaching and building up the church, but also carrying on evangelistic ministry and leading people to faith in Jesus there in Rome, even as he's done among the rest of the Gentiles. In fact, he says this is his duty as a servant of Jesus, as an apostle. This is his very duty. He says in verse 14, I'm under obligation. Uh, that obligation is a strong word saying I'm, I'm duty bound. 
I owe it to Jesus, right? Like this is my obligation as an apostle and as a servant of Jesus. Like I'm under orders and I can do nothing else. That's the idea of this. So I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, to the wise and the foolish. And so Greeks would be cultured Gentiles. That's the idea of Greeks here. Greeks is just one specific group of Gentiles, but cultured Gentiles in contrast to barbarians who were viewed as uncultured Gentiles. Literally, they were viewed as, as you know tribes of people on the outskirts or fringe or just outside the empire, particularly to the east, who you know were uncouth, uncultured, didn't know Greek language, hadn't been you know caught up in Greek culture. And Paul's saying, I'm under obligation to culture Gentiles, uncultured Gentiles, in other words, to all Gentiles, both to the wise and the foolish. This is his way of just saying, throwing the net wide. I'm I'm under obligation to all the Gentiles from wherever they come from, educated, uneducated, cultured, uncultured, doesn't really matter. I'm under obligation to them as a servant of Jesus to share the gospel with them, to, to declare the good news about Jesus to them. And so he says in verse 15, so for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. You fit within the sphere of my ministry. You fit you fit within the sphere of my obligation to uh, you know the Gentiles of whatever stripe, whatever type. And so because of that, I'm eager to come there and preach about King Jesus there and the good news of his victory over sin, death, hell, and the devil. I want to preach that there in Rome as well. And beginning at that point here in Romans, Paul actually begins to preach the gospel. That's really what he does next. In verses 16 and 17, he turns to the thesis statement that leads into a really a declaration, an announcement of the gospel of Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished. Now, even though this section is really all about Paul, and it's an introduction to the letter, and it sets up so many of the themes of the letter, that doesn't mean there's nothing in these uh, verses that are useful to us today. So let me just point out one implication that I think is really, really important for us to prayerfully reflect on out of the section, and that's this, that the gospel is about loyalty to King Jesus, that the gospel declares that Jesus is king, risen from the dead, God's very own son, and it calls us by way of response into loyal obedience to him. And we need to recapture that sense of the gospel, that it is news. The basic meaning of the word gospel is news. It's good news. It's it's an announcement about something that has happened. And in this case, it's an announcement about what God has done, what has happened in and through Jesus by the work of God and his spirit, that God sent his son, King Jesus, into the world, and that Jesus has been risen from the dead and thus is God's God's king over all the world. He's the world's true king, and he's calling all people to repentance and loyal obedience to himself. That's ultimately the message of the gospel. And so often we've preached the gospel as how to get your ticket to heaven or how to get your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven when you die, rather than as news about what God has done in Jesus, that there is a king, a king who's going to make everything right in this world, and a king who is calling us to loyal obedience to himself. And so as we 
enter into this letter to Romans, let's listen to how Paul summarizes the gospel here and really summarizes his ministry here in the opening paragraphs of Romans. And let us be people who both proclaim the same gospel that he proclaimed, as well as live with the same kind of heartbeat and mindset that that gospel calls to us. We are servants of and subjects to King Jesus, the world's true king. We're loyal to him at all costs. And when his orders go against the world's orders, we submit to King Jesus first because he is king. He is Lord. And he is ruling this world for his good purposes. And we want to be a part of his kingdom. That's what the gospel is all about. Hey, friends, I pray that the listener's commentary is super useful to you in your discipleship to Jesus. I am creating this resource really as an extension of my ministry to help people learn and live the Bible. And I want to make it as available to as many people as possible. And hence the reason I'm giving this away for free. It's hours and hours of work and hours and hours of content, years and years of study that I'm offering for free simply because I want to help people learn the Bible and follow Jesus. So would you consider supporting this ministry? I'll put a link to the donation page down in the notes below. And you can give a one-time gift. You can give an ongoing donation. Just know that every gift helps make this ministry possible so that more and more people can continue to learn the Word of God in this way.